0: hello and welcome to feminist fridays your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality i'm your host sarah liberty coming to your airwaves from sydney and this week we have a guest who's going to discuss happiness or more specifically the link between money and our mojo her name is vanessa stoikov and she is a finance and money educator and keynote speaker who has founded international award-winning content house, Evolution Media Group. But before we are joined by Vanessa, let's get going with a track by Van She called Idea of Happiness, and this is the What's So Not remix. And she
1: said- She said
0: Hello Vanessa, welcome to Feminist Fridays
2: Wow, I've just been streaming that out to my two sons They're in their gaming in their respective areas And I'm like, I'm going on Feminist Fridays And they're like, what? And I'm like, sit <laughs> <"S- that's." laughs> I've uh, had them
0: excited about that Well, everyone needs to embrace feminism So I'm glad that you're starting early Well, they're not
2: that early I've got it 18, 16 and
0: well they know all about it
2: don't you worry girl
0: (laughs) excellent so i'd love to know a little bit about where you grew up and what some of your earliest influences were
2: well i grew up in uh, rural new south wales a town called dunadar which Mm -hmm. is um my dad worked in the coal mines there he was a fitter and turner and But it was a town that was actually pretty prosperous because we had farmers who did well and um, we had an abattoir and the coal mine. So it was a prosperous country town. And um, that led to a very idyllic upbringing. And look, I'm 48, so we're going back sometime now. But growing up there, um, I always looked back and thought, wow, what I loved about it is that no one really had much more than anyone else. So, I mean, yes, there was the houses at the top of town and the, the, the houses at the bottom of the town sold for less, but it wasn't a town where inequity was so great. Like if you live in Sydney, you know what it's like from where people live, you know, whereas um, it was a place where, I, I don't know, it was a great community and it was a great upbringing and quite an innocent one if I'm honest, so... I think back now to doing V8 donuts and um, drinking alcohol underage and thinking that was the coolest thing ever, but pretty much think footloose, loose, exposed that that is a small town thing to do.
0: You know, we have a few things in common. I didn't grow up in Gunnada, but I grew up in in country, rural Australia, because my dad's. A sheep and cattle farmer. So, up until the age of about eleven, I spent most of my time on sheep stations, running around in the dirt. Um, in New South so, Wales. New South Wales and South Australia. So yeah, right. um, cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I
2: was a townie really because Dad worked in the mines. Mum stayed home where she was a nurse's aide. But you know, it was a good. Place to grow up because everyone looked out for everyone, and it was you know what it's not like when you grow up in the country. And I'm still very passionate about country people, you know.
0: Totally, I don't think you ever lose it. So, before we talk about your current work as a finance and money educator, I'm curious to know what drew you to this career path. Was it something that you were always fascinated by mastering money, um, and also the Impact it has it can have on our mental health, or was there a significant moment?
2: No. See, what what I grew up being passionate about was storytelling, stories. I was the kid with my head under the doona, reading books. You know, at the age of nine, thinking like, "This is living on the edge," Um, (laughs) and I loved stories. And so I grew up and did communications and went to journalism school. And my first job out of journalism school, I applied. I tell this story all the time to Equestrian Weekly, Trucking Weekly, and I ended up getting Investor Weekly. And so um, that's how I came to money. And I came to it as a journal. I started writing about institutional investing. And let me tell you, I had no idea what anyone was saying. But the one thing I'd learned how to do well at uni was shorthand. And I kind of was able to get the gist of what they were saying and write it exactly as that. And the amount of people that wrote to me went, for a young woman, you've got an extraordinarily complex grasp of the situation. And I'm like, <laughs> I pretty much just said what you said. But um, it, it, it was interesting. I just thought these people, well, not thought, I knew. They're brilliant. The minds in financial services are brilliant.
0: It's great that you just landed in the investor kind of environment and realised this is actually really interesting.
2: Well, I thought they were interesting. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't get their skill set on investing. I invested in making my own company instead of
0: just listening
2: to them. It's ridiculous, but I did get to work. Um, you know, over time, after I was a journalist, I and he ended up retrenching me because you know I was on twenty six grand as a journo. and. The guy that hired me that did Investor Weekly, Greg Bright, couldn't afford to keep me and he was keeping his ma- cutting his magazine down to black and white, and just him writing. He lost the EA and everything and I ended up taking him out to lunch to Lone Star on my $396 a week in Parramatta because I was like, oh, don't worry that you have to follow me. I'll be okay. And um, I interviewed so many people that a few people rang and just – this charming man from Zurich Insurance rang Liam Nichols and said, do you want to come work with me? And took me to level 21 for lunch. And um, he was like, oh, Mr. Nichols. like, And I mean, this is me from Canada, right? I went to uni in Canberra, but like this world, I have watched Portland Beautiful my whole life. And I'm like, the Forrester family is real. Like suddenly I saw this world of like beautiful places and things and intelligent people and, Yeah, I wanted to be part of it. I didn't want to do what they did, but really, really wanted to be part of it.
0: Mm, Fascinating. So research that you have just commissioned has revealed that over a third of Australians are not living the life that they want. And that is because it's linked to money and relationships. It has been a tough year for many people living with the uncertainty of a global pandemic. Do you think that this research is a sign of our current times or an indicator of some more underlying issues?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? And I, I paused to think about it even though I knew you were going to ask it, right, But because I actually have to wonder how much would be because of current issues. Like there's been no doubt that everyone who is in a relationship or everyone that's ever struggled to do anything and pay for it themselves has been under money stress and money pressure so that that's that's a fact that's a given and um but i think covid did something very different to us it put a huge level of uncertainty over our very way of life and that made us rethink what we valued so suddenly the working from home thing spending more time with your kids thing like trying to get balance you know all that like everything's on the table
0: yeah, I think a lot of people have had their lives sort of turned topsy-turvy and just trying to navigate it um, and find some stability because uncertainty can, it can, if you're not sort of aware of it, be linked to unhappiness or stress um, and anxiety, that type of thing. Mm,
2: anxiety is a killer. I really suffer from anxiety. Like I have to say, it's gotten worse during COVID. So, um, I think a lot of people would join me in saying that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I just think at the end of the day, I've I've always been about for a very long time. After I got that job at Zurich and then another one at an incredible place called Equity Link, which was like a really exclusive investment house, and it was run by two guys called Brian Sherman and Lawrence Friedman, two quite extraordinary men, actually, Um, South African born but they shared an office and it was this really luxe I think it was 390 George Street and you went up and the Shermans were at the, uh, still this amazing art family and they really own the art scene in Sydney Um, and you would have heard of Dr Jean Sherman like she's a incredible collector with an eye and so Brian would have this long hair and no socks at work and like they were multi multi-millionaires who had gone over and sold Australian bonds to American investors. So they would basically just hitched up and gone and sold around the States, Australia, like Paul Hogan sold it with a movie, and they made millions and millions of dollars. Mm. Um, and so Lawrence Friedman is Mia Friedman's father, and Mia Friedman is Mama Mia, and Brian Sherman is... Well, his children are extraordinary. Emil runs his production company, Seesaw Productions, that did The King's Speech and Lion. And his daughter runs their animal, um, it's called Voiceless. Uh, and, I mean, she's extraordinary as well. Like, they are uh, incredible people. And when you work for people like that, you learn a lot about the influence that money can have in a good way, how it can save animals, fund the arts, Um, And, you know, in finance, once I started my own company and really it was at the heart trying to communicate what financial services did and show a soul in them. So I started to build um, a program, which I turned into a show that I got all the way to Channel 9 from what started as a 12-minute video um, idea from me over a series of years, became a business that I built called NMP Education. And Mm -hmm. it really was a, um, I was educating financial advisors in Australia and investment managers in Australia, but also ones from overseas. And it was really the biggest video portal of its kind. And I sold it to a a company called OneView in 2018 who are listed. So you learn a lot about money and yourself and mental health when you're doing a deal with a listed company and there's lots of zeros involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you do because you become a different person because what motivates you changes and, you know, I, I can speak from authority from someone who's worked around people who make massive amounts of money and who understand the secrets of it to someone like me who's built a smaller business and sold. I ended up getting $1.6 million in cash for that business plus an earnout, But at the end of the day, you know, you learn something. If you build something from nothing and someone puts a value on it, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn mm. a lot about other people. And so it's been interesting coming from this perspective where I'm not in the finance industry, but I've always been around it, built the agency out of it. And I've had investors like Alan Gray, who I deeply respect, who founded Alan Gray Investments, I actually made the only documentary of his life and the first real interview he did at 84. Oh, 80, and he's now passed away, not 84, I'm sorry. But um, he, you know, is a multi-billion dollar philanthropist. When he died, the number one tweet in South Africa was, thank you, Alan Gray. In, In perpetuity, he's funding kids to go from kindergarten, him and his wife, Jill Gray, all the way through to Harvard, and then give them capital to go back into South Africa and become social entrepreneurs. And I mean, so, that's the ultimate long-term vision for money, right?
0: Absolutely, But and so you spend a lot of time, I guess, kind of running your own business, starting, having that, uh, having investment come to your business. You've been around people with a lot of money. For those people who may not be living the life of their dreams, what are your suggestions for turning things around? Or how can people follow in your sort of footsteps?
2: Oh, God, don't follow in my footsteps. That'd be insanity. <laughs> like
0: okay.
2: literally, you know, I have lived a life that I've taken a lot of risk my whole life. And, you know, when I thought about you doing this this podcast with the word feminist in it, and I thought, oh, am I a feminist? And I really liked your definition. Now, tell me what sort of feminist you are, because let's go through this for a second.
0: I'm an intersectional feminist, so I believe.
2: Intersectional. I just want to savour this word because I haven't heard it and I'm a word person, right? Like I, I am a content person, so I'm like intersectional. What does, does that mean like a cross? Intersecting is like spot in the middle of just everyone equal?
0: Yeah, so it's about recognising that everyone has very different, well, not very different, people just have different life journeys people may come from all corners of the world they may have different levels of ability different levels of education they may you know practice or not practice a religion but really when it comes down to it, it's sort of like it's linked back to human rights and just acknowledging that everyone regardless of race sex gender anything like that is is born equal Um, And that's what I try and practice with Feminist Fridays. So I'm going to turn the interview back to you. (laughs) I wanted to ask, um, you know, what is it that if people aren't feeling happy and they think money might be a culprit, how can they turn things around?
2: Well, do they think money is the reason they're not happy or are they not happy and the reason they can't change it is because of money? And I would suggest it's the latter. So you know are you unhappy because you can't pay bills and you're racking them up on credit cards are you unhappy because you've spent all your savings in COVID? like i've spent a lot of my savings in COVID. so Mm. i run a media and education business so you know production is a big part of what we do evolution media group and that that point i got to in telling you the story of being 26 and working for these amazing people and walking into work one day and I got to level three drove over the bridge in my BMW feeling cool at 26 and I'm thinking I'm the shit and walked into the office and couldn't breathe and literally was like I thought I was having a heart attack and so I walked straight out again and walked down into the back alley which was pretty seedy back in those days in And my family and said, Oh, I don't want to do this job. And I was earning $150,000 at that stage in finance, which is amazing money. And then I said, I'm going to do something creative. And I quit. And I had a $14,000 bonus owing to me. And that's how I started Evolution. And I spent 10 of that on the most awesome freaking party that I could imagine with lasers, smoke machines, at the bottom of the Argyle Centre. And then I had Jamiroquai pumping. It was like literally the best party. I fantasised about this party for months before and years afterwards. But those sort of statement things that I've done in my career, I've spent money, but I've always known that they'd make me back money and I've invested. And I think a lot of people haven't taken risks on themselves in life as much, you know, because they've been too worried it wouldn't work. And I think now it's time for people to really go, you know, what? why not? Why not? Like, like, why not me? And that's, I really want that. Like, that's kind of my message. I've scaled my whole model differently to be producing content that I believe in my heart will get people to see money and their life in a different way. And, you know, it's from the perspective of a storyteller. So I've gone and found some of the most incredible creatives like around the world but in Australia here like these guys I would never have been able to afford for them to work for me but they're all like I have a roster of agencies that I work with now that are in you know the social media SEO public relations research like writers but creatives animators like cartoonists like I, I have this suite of people that are storytellers in their art form. And they're helping me make stories that are going to create what I'm calling a financial flashpoint in people's lives. They're going to create moments. And I do think life is a series of moments. If we can get people to think about where do they want to go? You don't have to be happy now. It doesn't have to be working now. It's better if it's not because now you've got
0: somewhere to go. I really resonate with the idea of taking risks and backing yourself really is something that, I mean, I've always, I think, been a bit of a risk taker and it's taken me to a lot of places in the world and I've done some really amazing things in my career. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of hard work and uncertainty, but that's kind of okay. I I know that's that how it works. You know, there's a bit of a pendulum. Um, so I'm prepared to not make anything for for some time but it's my passion and eventually there's reward when you see that you're creating change in some way. So do you think we just need to take more risk? I think we need to be able to assess risk Mm -hmm. and this
2: is Mm -hmm. what the finance industry has taught me. Can you see why I think these people are sexy? Like (laughs) they're so smart. They know how to do calculations to make risk that takes risk away from making an investment of your time or your money. And that's what's interesting about them. You know, what I've learned in life is let the smartest people in the room manage my money. <laughs> and I know I am not the smartest person in the room. I'm a good communicator and I'm a good storyteller, but I'm not a brains box of investing. So give it to them. And um, I want to teach people that. And, you know, what I'm passionate, this is crazy, I love superannuation. In particular, I love the superannuation industry because, you know what, they're the most noble people of all. And you talk about feminists, man. Some of the women that run our billion-dollar super funds, and it's so interesting because once you understand super like I do because I've grown up with it, all these people – You know, when I was at Investor Weekly, I was reporting on fund secretaries and fund secretaries turned out to be superannuation CEOs and they're multi-billion dollar businesses and they can change markets now. The CEO of Hester, Debbie Blakey, has, you know, had a huge impact on Rio Tinto and their investment in that mining company because of what happened with um, the Aboriginal sites and the way nothing was communicated and some, you know, there was a, there's been a huge, the treatment of people, Indigenous people, like a company, the way they treat that Indigenous people should be part of their value, you know, because you can understand the values of their company. And, yeah, that, that actually changed the way they do things now. And there's been climate change action taken, aware supers building affordable housing. Like when you and and that's Deanne Stewart, she's like my age and punching out this (laughs) second biggest super fund in Australia, but no one sees them as these kick ass women CEOs because they're saying the super funds and people think that sounds boring or political or you know, and people don't see it for what it is. They're just investing in amazing businesses and they're making a lot of money to do it, but they're making us money. I love superannuation
0: because it's everyone's plan B. One of my other questions was going to be about outsourcing, and I think this is a bit of a segue into outsourcing because you've just mentioned how you identify people that you might not know a great deal about money yourself, but you've identified people that do, and you outsource your money, your money management to those people. Outsourcing is something that you say is a key tip for improving your happiness if you have tasks in your life that aren't making you happy. Can you share with us any other tasks that you've outsourced?
2: Literally, I took to this concept like a duck to water at a very young age. And I, as soon as I started Evolution with that 14 grand, the tenant which I spent on the launch party, I spent two grand getting a bookkeeper. And I outsourced doing my accounts and my compliance from day one because I knew I was shit at that. And if it's one thing I'll say, everything that you're shit at, outsource it. So Mm. if you're shit at cooking, get the meals in, pay for them. If you're shit at cleaning or don't want to do it, which is most of us, get the cleaner in. They're the things that free you up to think more creatively, to be more positive. Who can be positive when you're fucking doing housework at the same time as running a business and having kids and, like the less shit you have to do to juggle, the happier you are, and
0: nobody can argue that. Yeah, I think sometimes people feel like they need to be seen as juggling, um, but I certainly yeah. Find well, it...
2: that's real bullshit. Now the busy person is bullshit. Like I know we're all busy, but let's stop saying that. And I think people have in COVID they've kind of gone. Oh, no one really wants to do that. And, I mean, a lot of people are genuinely really busy because of COVID too, so it kind of depends what sort of job you're in. So I I just think everyone needs to probably have a look at themselves and go, am I happy with where I am? I talk a lot out in the market and, I mean, we, we did this research really about, you know, people are waiting to get an inheritance to have a good financial life, but the reality is, A lot of people are, like baby boomers will die in the next 15 to 20 years. And and whilst that is a harsh statistic when it comes to real people's lives, including my own mother, my dad died three years ago. At the end of the day, there is three and a half trillion, trillion, I don't even know how many zeros that is, to be honest. And it's going to be handed over to people that have never seen that kind of wealth in their life. People who've paid $48,000 for their house in Bondi that's now worth 15, 20 million. So there's a big money and you know there's also the issue with that and I really am someone who wants to teach people a growth mindset around money that's kind of I like the term growth mindset because it's just about I'm trying to get people to see there's there's other ways you don't have to just be like this you don't have to accept this as your circumstance if it's weighing you down but you, you can have a better life and work towards that
0: so with the kind of the educating work that you do around happiness wealth money do you think that talking about money is still a bit of a taboo and if it is how can we change that or is it even is it a bad thing
2: yeah look the money is a huge taboo Like, that's one of the biggest things I face in my job. Even my own mother, I tell her about inheritance. She's like, oh, I don't think people want to talk about that. And I'm like, oh, tell her, Mum, I also post you on Instagram. She's like, no. So (laughs) she is horrified and does not want her life talked about. So there you go. And um, Mum lives in Woggenau and my sister is a principal of a school there. She's actually quite an inspirational person in her own right. She runs the Bidji School and it's for kids who really suffered ptsd and she's been quite a pioneer in the space she's an inspirational feminist definitely and she's raised two daughters who one's now teaching with her mother taylor at that school and the other one's a mental health nurse in Wagga. and they're pretty inspirational people of frontline type service um and that's been really great to see too
0: Okay, so you have built and sold No More Practice Education and you're the founder and CEO of Evolution Media Group. And you're also Channel 9 series creator as well as being an author. What do you do when you're not working for self-care and how do you find time to switch off? Well, having three kids helps because um,
2: (laughs) you don't get a chance to be about yourself and all that shit. Like, I have done those things, but I've run that company for 22 years. So I haven't done them all at once. And um, I've just stuck with it, to be honest. Like, honestly, it's just not giving up and keep going. And what do I do for self-care? It's kind of my life. We've raised our kids in this business. I had a nanny on at work. I always had a nanny for 12 years. It was awesome. I'm employed through my my business. When she'd have to, I'm like, oh. Like, but they we had three or four different ones in twelve years, but some really one in particular, Sahala and her daughter Arazu, and Alex became part of our lives, and we still love. Like, and it's so lovely when your kids have other influences and people that are so happy. They're Persian and they're just gorgeous um, people. They they love being around your kids, and when your kids are raised with people who like the grandparents you dream of, like that. Oh my darling, I love you so much. And I'm like, this is perfect. Like, oh, I could never be like that.
0: So as this is a feminist segment, we've kind of already touched on this topic, but I wanted to ask how feminism has been a part of your journey. And as we talked about before, I'm an intersectional feminist. Yeah, I like the term. I'm going to take it. Good. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had a mother who was very independent and pushed, and even though I grew up in a country town, my mum very beautifully dressed and our house was immaculate and she really pushed me like dad was there I worship you you are the best and she was like that no you can do better and um I always found her a bit of an arch nemesis but really tried my hardest because of her and I think she was one of the primary drivers of me really being an overachiever which turns out to have been a good thing in my life (laughs) whereas at the time I might have resented it I now see how strong she was to push me to be better and better and have high standards. She lived to those standards herself. And um, that's a real feminist, even though she stayed home and cooked meals every day. And she was the one saying, you're going to uni. I, um, a good friend, I got 92 in the HSC, so I was no dunce. But in Gunnedah, a good friend of ours, all of our group, Keegan Downs, was killed in a car accident with other friends, other guys that were in our group. And we were such a tight group of devastating to have mm. someone die when you're just turning 18 in your group and i just decided i wasn't going to go away to uni i got a job at the local jewellers, whom i loved charles and ingrid priest and they hired me and i sold diamonds and i was like this is what i'm going to do now i'm going to stay in gunnedah and sell diamonds and it was a beautiful job and i made nice money and got to wear pretty clothes i was like yeah cool and then I got 92 in the HSC and the next day mum had packed my bag and said, yeah, you got into journalism and you're going. And that was it. And I, again, a feminist move. She was like, you're not going to stay here. You're going to get educated.
0: Wow. You could have ended up in the diamond industry. That would have also been quite fascinating.
2: Still could, baby. I love the diamond still. <laughs> okay.
1: I love the nice things.
2: <laughs> but it's just when you've got three kids again. Diamonds. I have some nice diamonds that I have a, a, a lot in my time, but that's it now. I wear my, you'll see in all my interviews and media and everything, I wear my diamonds and they're my, yep. I, I want one more. When I sell the next one, when my big idea comes, I'm going to buy myself a big teardrop diamond. I've always wanted a teardrop around my neck. A uh, Muriel, a uh, uh, muse, and my cousin's grandmother was this glamorous American who, even at the age of ninety, had this big diamond around her neck. And I loved it. And I'm like, I'm going to do that when I make the next one. And the next one company I sell will be much, much bigger.
0: You're going to rock a rock. I love it. So finally, <laughs> yeah. Where can my listeners find you, follow you, and connect with you if they want to learn more about happiness and money and our mental health? Um, so feel free to plug your website, social media, anything else here.
2: Okay. I built a new website this year called, strangely enough, So Ooh. S-D-O-Y-K-O-V. So you can find me there. And Excellent. on there, there's a couple of things you should notice if you're a, a listener who just thinks, oh, yeah, she has, might be interesting. Subscribe to my free monthly newsletter and that's on the website. You'll find it. Um, because I'm sending out all different kinds of stories that I'm creating at the moment, and I'm creating um, learning and stories and animations and fables, um, romance stories, but all to give people different moments thinking about their money and experiencing them in, in different ways. My first book is a fiction book, like in which was people are like what a money book is fiction. And I'm like, yeah, it's like the Breakfast Club, the actual movie. Like imagine those guys, but older. They get together, smoke a joint, realize their lives are screwed and it's because of money. And um, that's how I want people to think about money in terms of what happens in life and decisions made and things that could happen and things that inspire them to just go, yeah, I see it differently. So if you subscribe to that newsletter, then you'll see a few things. Read it. And when it comes once a month free, follow me on Instagram, Vanessa That's my favorite one. I'm not really into Facebook. I just feel like it goes nowhere for me. But, hey, I'm there. Um, LinkedIn is my professional one. Where else? Like I have Evolution Media Group, but that's my production house website. But, honestly, just Google me and then follow me where you like and see what happens. I'm going to launch some cool stuff next year and I'll be doing it with uh, the finance industry. So it's going to be something that gets to millions and millions of people. And, yeah, that'll make my dreams come true of really connecting people to their potential with money and giving them access. Everyone deserves to know.
0: Excellent. Well, if you're listening to this, be sure to hit up Vanessa's newsletter and connect with her on social media. Thank you so much for your time, Vanessa. Thanks for having me well we have served you another financially savvy episode of feminist fridays for this week but before you think about outsourcing the things that make you unhappy i'm going to leave you with a new track by a lady hawk called my love because we love vanessa's ideas